Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Are we live? We're live, Dr. Cohen. Where that's your favorite tagline, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, movies, books, TV. This is Gross Anatomy Podcast, and I'm Lauren Taylor, and you are I am Dr. <laughs> Jason Cohen, and uh, I'm super excited. Uh, we we have a guest on who doesn't who doesn't realize you have no idea what you mean to me. We have Prince Fox on Sam Last, aka Sam Lasner, aka SMWN. And what's that? Just someone, just spelled no. like an idiot. <laughs> no, it's SMWN. <laughs> yeah. Who? <laughs> um, thank. So you. before, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank my you pleasure. for coming on the show. I know you've been begging us for months and we finally said, okay, thank so, you. so thank you so much. So here, here's a little something that you don't know. Okay. That, so I grew up with your, actually both your parents, but really I grew up with your dad and your uncle and Jamie. Your dad is Jamie Lassner, who both he and his brother, your uncle, were kind of the big brothers that I never had. I always looked up to those two guys. And how old are you? I'm 28. 28. So 28 years ago, I was sitting in synagogue, Orachayim, where your dad is, is still a member, I imagine. Indeed. And, and I'm sitting there. So I, was, so I was 23. I guess I was already in medical school. Was I? Yeah, I was already in medical school, and you were just born, and you were tiny, and you couldn't even hold up your neck. And what's that? Checks out still. Yeah, <laughs> and and I'm sitting in synagogue, and you're and you were in synagogue with your parents, and you were probably maybe a week old. I, I don't know, maybe you know, barely anything old. And your dad comes over to me and puts you on my lap. And I had never held a baby. You, you were the first baby, even though I was, and I think he assumed because I was in medical school, oh, I could just put this baby on Jason's lap. I had never, you were the first like real baby that I ever held. And I had no idea what to do with you because you're, A, I had never held a baby, but B, I didn't even know that your neck wouldn't, it was just so uncomfortable and awkward and terrible for me. And I was trying to pretend, and here I am in medical school, trying to pretend I knew what I was doing. And your dad kind of walked away oh my God. and left you alone in my lap. And it was terrifying. That's and, really funny. And I'm blushing. This no, no hold up neck thing was <laughs> sitting on me. Just jealous. I'm so happy to share that story with you. That's really funny. Well, thank you for sharing that. Did I spit up on you? Was I was I clean? Was I all right? No, actually, I spit up on you. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Because I was so I'd gone to the kiddish club and I was so now. I but, feel less but, awkward about it now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but and I think you know, then I kind of moved out, and and I don't know you, and I and I. It's crazy that I don't know you, considering that your dad and your uncle I've always considered my big brothers, and you were on my lap. And and here we are, just getting to meet, and I'm, and I'm thrilled. It's crazy, as am I. I'm I'm happy to be here. Thank you again for having me. And so, 
Um, as you know, your uncle Andy Lastner, I had on the show, and we had on the show. Lauren and I had on the show. Sorry, Lauren. No, you're fine. <laughs> okay. And um, my sister Stephanie uh, called me or told me about what what you went through, and and told me about, hey, did you hear? You know, Sam Lastner, Prince Fox, changed his name, and I listened to this thing, and it just sounds like a cool story. And, and, and that, that was kind of my motivation for kind of saying, other than me being able to tell my ridiculous story for, for having you on, on the show here, but I want to back it up even more. So you, yeah. you grew up as did I, I think, um, an Orthodox Jew I did. growing up on the Upper East Side of New York City, right? I did. That is, that is, that is accurate. Went to Ramaz, the, the whole thing. Um, and, uh, I loved playing hockey growing up. That was my whole life. And I worked at an ice rink every summer during my teenage years. Hockey Which was rink? my thing. It was Chelsea Pierce sky rink. Right. That was my summer job. And I would always play in the staff skates, uh, with the other coaches. And occasionally we would get some Rangers to come down. Sometimes Lundquist would come down at the time. I remember Darius Kasparaitis came to play. And um, I would always run into the same problem whenever someone would say, oh, you should play for this travel team or this travel team. It's like, well, you can't play on Shabbat, so how are you going to you play on this travel team? Fast forward uh, to my senior year in high school. I'm applying for school. I'm more into music than I was. Um, I had some issues with a couple of coaches, which is a se- separate issue. Ended up leaving the high school team senior year. Uh, at the time that I left, I think I was like probably the leading, if not second scorer on the team, potentially one of in the league. Like, and I just left because of whatever was going on. And this that's is, when you're I talking about Yeshiva league, right? I'm talking about Yeshiva league, but I also wasn't playing ice at that time as well. Right. Um, because I, all the teams that I would have played for the Shabbat thing got in the way and you know, I'm 17, 18 years old, angsty, discovering what I want in my life, what I don't want in my life. Um, and I get into NYU for music production and composition. I go there, continue this journey of discovering myself. And while I'm there, I start making these remixes of popular songs and putting them up on the internet, just one after the other, not doing my homework, just making these remixes and throwing them up on the internet. And by my junior year, things were going crazy. Um, my SoundCloud at the time, which is a totally different platform than it is today, was you know raking in millions of plays a week. And I didn't know what to make of it. I just saw numbers on the internet. I had never been on a tour before. I had never done anything. All of this was brand new. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, whatever. But let me back you up. So Go when ahead. you were in high school, did you ever do like uh, bar mitzvahs? And were you ever doing that kind of stuff? So it's funny. I never did that until way later when I was still in this like in between of not sure about how religious I was or wasn't. And I was teaching kids for their bar mitzvahs and also, you know, living my life downtown and, and doing my thing. And uh, right at the beginning of the Prince Fox project, I was teaching this kid um, and he also really liked electronic music. And he said, like, oh, could you could you please DJ my bar mitzvah? So I, I DJ'd his bar mitzvah, uh, which was 
this cr- extravagant like Hamptons thing. It was awesome. Um, and then I, what year, what year by was proxy, it? this must have been 2013, maybe 2012, yeah. something like that. But by by proxy of doing his bar mitzvah, I had to do his younger brothers also, like years <laughs> later. So things had already progressed at that point. Um, but I did the younger brothers as well, which was really funny. Um, but yeah, so I go to college. I These things start taking off. Um, end of my junior year, I start you know, getting show offers, like come DJ here, come DJ there. I'd never DJed before. I I came from playing guitar and writing songs and I just learned how to DJ to go play these electronic songs. Um, I simultaneously was taking summer courses because I knew that if I didn't load up as soon as I can on credits, I wouldn't have graduated. Um, And that, I think it was, it was the March of my junior year. The head of my program was like, uh, look, I know that you want to be an artist and stuff, but like, you got to do your homework. You can't like, kind of like an academic nudge. Like you gotta, you gotta get it together. Fast forward six months to the first, I guess, month and a half of my senior year. I was being represented by CAA. I had shows every single weekend. And before I even graduated, they're like, Oh, can you speak to the freshmen? We really want you to, um, you know, talk about your experience in this program. Like you're such a great example of what this program can do. I'm like six months ago, you were, you're telling me I'm on thin ice. Um, so, so that happened and I graduate early and I'm on the road. Yeah. I graduated early. Um, and And you were still, were you still an Orthodox Jew? By that point in my personal life, no publicly, ambiguous is the best way i could say it right. uh, like i was not at that point playing on shabbat but i wasn't necessarily keeping shabbat and i didn't really i wasn't honest enough with myself to be honest with anyone else is the best way i could say it and what's funny is when we talked to your uncle andy who went through his whole experience he i don't know if you listened to the podcast yeah he talked about that despite all the crap that he went through and his parents you know, your grandparents went through, he still, his parents still thought he was keeping Shabbat. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I've spoken to my parents about this and I don't, I don't know what they did or didn't know at the time. And your dad, you know, seems like having gone through what he did with his brother, your dad, it's so funny to me, like your dad probably like, had you, had you known me and would have said, hey, J- Jason, what should I do? I would have been like, just talk to your dad. He'd, he'd be yeah. totally fine. I think I got into a, a, a bit of trouble is because, like I said, I, I wasn't honest enough with myself to really be honest with anyone else because I didn't really know what I was going to do, what was what. Like, things were taking off, but it's not like that early on um, that it was so lucrative that first year that I was like, Oh, well I'm good. I could do my own thing. Like there was still this aspect of, I'm still some, I'm still a kid. Um, fast forward a few months after that, I sign this record deal with universal and then everything's going full force. Um, I'm touring all around the world, you know, one night I'm in Spain, the next night I'm in Florida, then I'm in Portland. 
Are you still giving bar mitzvah lessons? <laughs> At that point, I was I was well past the the bar mitzvah lessons, and uh, I, I'm just getting worn down on the road. And I have always had, and still have, but obviously better at managing now, like issues with depression and anxiety and lack of sleep and flying around the world and playing music that some of which you're excited about other stuff. You're not so excited about, um, putting on this facade that you're this electronic dance guy. Everyone's saying like, you're a DJ this year, you know? And in my head, I'm like, how did I even get here? You know, like I, I went to this program cause I was writing songs, playing guitar I got into production and what did you think what did um high school junior Sam think he was going to be when he grew up That's a really good question and I think that a I could say this consistently is that past me always thought future me would figure out how to be happy cuz I was always that career it wasn't so much about career. It was like, if I do this, if I achieve this, if I have this much money and I can buy these things or I can play these kind of shows, it was um, very materialistic and goal-oriented. If I have this, I will be happy. If I can figure out how to do this, I will but be happy. it wasn't happy. like you want to be a, a, a no. DJ. It wasn't like you wanted to be a music producer. You didn't want to be a pro I wanted to be player. in music. I wanted to be in music. I wanted to play hockey but i thought that was out of reach i wanted to be john mayer i was pretty good compared to the guy pretty good like the kid who i was neck and neck with until i was probably 14 and then he pulled away when he could keep playing i was kid chris carlisle and he's back and forth between the ottawa senators and uh uh what do you call it um this team in the czech republic so you resent your parents no no resentment at all i kidding no I do remember a conversation where they're like, look, if you really want to do this, like fine. And I just had such guilt because I was probably 14 at the time. I'm like, what am I going to say? Like, you know, all these years at Ramaz, how am I now going to not do this? Um, but your parents probably would have been totally fine with it. I think, right. Eventually. I think in, in any sort of case like that, where I don't want to say there's expectation, but, there's a path that you're put on anytime you want to switch paths there's an adjustment period um but at no point was there any resentment on either side i think it it all just came from me either being transparent or not and the biggest thing about this shift from all the things that i was going through as prince fox and kind of the very brief synopsis that I that I gave in the video is you know kind of growing up and figuring out how how I'm going to be honest with myself so that I can be transparent with the people around me and what was high school like for you did you hate high school love high school you know that answer changes depending on in what context I think about it um I I don't I don't even know which which way to field it but it was tough at the time 100% tough Um, I had no, I didn't have a very strong sense of self in the sense that I knew the things that I was good at and I tied my self-worth to that. And if I had a bad hockey game, you know, I was, I was in the dumps because that was my worth. If I had a good game, I thought I was the hottest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Um, and it, it wasn't, 
I, I just never built that foundation for myself at that age, which made, you know, being in a social environment with the children of billionaires and very comfortable um, social people, very difficult for someone that doesn't have um, the same sense of self or idea of what they want or what they want in life that everybody around them has. Um, and I don't attribute that, to, attribute that to anything else other than just the way that I thought at the time. Um, I think that like grinding myself to the bone and going all the way ar- around the world and back and doing these things as fun as they were at times and as part of my friends shitty as they were at times uh, just changed everything about how I think and how I try and, and lead my life, which is why I wanted to step away from putting out music as that entity and be like, look, this is me being a hundred percent honest. This is the music that I really enjoy for myself. Artistically, I still produce music for other people, but I wanted to make that shift and just say, this is me now. These are the things I have to say, whether it's half as commercially successful as the Prince Fox stuff, it doesn't even matter to me because it's coming from a much more honest place. So you're kind of like, um, uh, Ryan Gosling in La La Land. A bit. Yeah. A bit. Right. Less handsome, but yeah, yeah. So very similar. <laughs> He's a handsome guy, Ryan Gosling. But, but kind of similar, similar thing a little bit, right? I think so. I want to get back to something you were saying about experiencing anxiety and depression when you were on tour, doing music, like a musician's lifestyle is um, very chaotic often. I was reading an article about Annie Murphy's husband, the start of Schitt's Creek, and her husband's a musician. And he was saying how he couldn't get health care until she booked Schitt's Creek. Um, and that he really needed to see a psychiatrist and how important it was. And now he's trying to help other musicians get the healthcare that they need because they often experience anxiety and depression. Is this something that you think you experienced more of because you were uh, on tour or is this something you've dealt with your whole life? I would say my whole life. Um, I've suffered with it to some extent. Um, Thankfully I've always had good healthcare and access to medicine and psychologists. It's, uh, I think the, the biggest thing for me is I just didn't want to go to psychologists for the longest time. Cause I was like, well, well, what are they going to tell me? I know this, that, the other thing. And boy, was I wrong. Uh, I was so wrong. I started seeing, um, uh, this psychologist out in Venice and, you know, it feels very different to just like whine to someone than it does to really dissect what it is that you're whining about. And I know that a lot of my musician peers get caught in that first phase where they'll get on Twitter. They'll be like, Oh, this sucks. I'm so depressed. This, that, and the other thing, but they never are getting in a room with someone that really helps them dissect it and try and work past it and say, okay, here are the things that upset you. Here's the likely reasons why they upset you. And here's how you can think around them or like clouds just allow them to pass. What got you to finally go and speak to someone? A lot of panic attacks. And that was like when you were on tour, they were coming more or? On tour, at home. um, Okay. All over. Yeah. And it was, 
yeah literally everywhere that you could imagine like i you know from andy and Lori's house to my own living room to spain miami uh lubbock texas i could you, like there's you know you could download apps of maps of places you pooped like i could do the same thing with panic attacks pretty much it's like and, and what what now helps you i'm there. drinking a lot less so uh-huh. that definitely balances me out um i'm much more conscious of my sleep schedule i'm much more conscious of the things that i eat um and i'm a lot more honest with myself i think and the people around me so that i'm not like a lot of my panic attacks would come from uh ruminating like i would replay these things over and over in my head whether i said something wrong in a conversation or i had a conversation that i was nervous about um and it would just shut me down um and the other main trigger was like hypochondria so like my dad would call me and we'd be having a regular conversation and he'll be like oh so and so from the shul has stage five whatever cancer and i'm like oh, fuck. <laughs> and that would just set me off right and not in not literally nothing to do with me andy's but, like that too you know yeah Your uncle andy's like that also and he was a big part of the reason that I started going to the psychologist too. Cause Good. I remember I had a, a panic attack at his house and I finally got out of it and we were sitting outside by his fire pit. And he goes like, you know, you don't have to live like this. Like you can, you can talk to someone like this isn't only your cross to bear. And I was like, yeah. you're right. You know? Um, Thank you for sharing that. I know that's very personal, but I go through similar things um, like the replaying of the conversations. I can definitely relate to the hypochondria, uh, the anxiety. So I think that's very helpful and that it will help people. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, of course. I I think it's, you know, it's way more, I I think it's way more common than, than everybody thinks, you know, I mean, everybody goes through that to some degree and it's a matter of being strong enough and brave enough to, to get help. So yeah. the hypochondria is crazy. That's, that's the one that I'm still kind of working through. Um, I like boiled down what it comes from with my psychologist, which is, you know, my dad being on Hatsala and, and always visiting people in the hospital. And like, even if I'm a fly on the wall in, in a room in a hospital, I see like I can replay you know the people around the sick person grieving it was never the f- the fear is not really anything to do with pain or suffering it's to do with watching the people around you emotionally crumble and i don't think like that that's you know that's not something that i'm in any way uh, equipped to handle um and that's that's where the hypochondria stems from is like if anything happens to me and it's a slow burn down. I have to see everyone around me like try and keep a straight face. And that's the most horrifying thing to me of it all. Like I'm, I have a crazy pain tolerance. I got yelled at by a doctor because I broke my wrist and they were squeezing it. And I was like, okay. And she's like, oh, it's probably just a sprain, but let's do a, let's do a scan. We did a scan. She pushed the door. You're crazy. What's wrong with you? I was squeezing. It was broken. And I was like, I don't know what you want me to tell you. You know, it has nothing to do with pain, which I feel like whenever I tell people, they're like, what? Yeah. So, um, 
our listeners, Sam's father, uh, Jamie, is he's an amazing guy. He's a righteous guy. He yes. he um, does this volunteer ambulance, uh, um, and he's been doing it at least for probably thirty years, right? More, I think, thirty-five now. Yeah. So anyone in the community. He's the guy that is always there in the ambulance. If anybody gets sick, anything, uh, it's just amazing. It really, I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. Great guy, Clearly. amazing guy. Yeah, a real hero. He really is. But he screwed you up by showing you. No, 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 no. It, it wasn't, it, <laughs> it would have happened anyway. It's just the way I'm wired. Seeing, yes. seeing people like emotionally crumble or, you know, fake a smile when they know someone doesn't have very long is like, like just nightmares on nightmares on nightmares, just endless. Wow. Yeah. Are you, are you still have that or you're getting better with that? Now? Um, I haven't had as many of those nightmares recently, but I do definitely have like a lot of, a lot of, uh, dreams and nightmares that either, come from my subconscious to validate a fear or reconcile something that uh, I struggle with. So if let's say I had like a falling out with a friend years ago, randomly years later, sometimes I'll have a dream where we're like having coffee, apologizing or like talking through it. And I'll, you know, wake up with that off my shoulders or there are other times on the flip side, it'll just get way worse. And like all of the fears around that situation will happen in my dream. And then I think it's all about Jewish guilt. Yeah, it boils down to it. <laughs> that do and lactose intolerance. Do you incorporate any of that stuff into your music? Not really. Um, you know, just respectfully, I, I try and keep all the religious stuff pretty far away from what No, I no, do. I don't mean the religious stuff. I mean the, all your neuroses and all your, all oh, your yeah. fears. It's just, it's wired in there. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. in the music. And it's also a big part of my work ethic, I think, is just, you know, if I'm not working, what's going to be? You know, I got to I gotta get it done. But then since since I, you thought I asked that, um, have you ever tried to do like a Matis Yahoo kind of thing and incorporate Jewishness or any of that? Um, not for me. Uh I've produced stuff for other people that do that, but not for my artist stuff, no. Right, right. Um, so then you changed to SMWN. Yeah. Which basically means... Just someone. It's like someone, someone spelled really in a, in a silly way. Um, right. Because I wanted something with four letters, and the whole idea was that my whole life or you know a lot of the situations that i've been put in like i always was trying to be someone else or i wanted to be someone else and i was like well if i was this person what would i do and that kind of just spun me into okay well i should just make my new project called someone and then you know down the line is like oh what show are you going to i'm going to someone's show i'm going to like <laughs> I wanted it to be very nonchalant and the opposite of the hubris that calling yourself a prince lets off. Right. Um, I just wanted to go as far in the other direction as I could. So, Why four letters? 
it just looks good for branding. I find that like all artists that have four letters, just it looks the nicest. There's a new movie coming out or out already um, with a guy, Bob Odenkirk, called Nobody. Right? Did you see the trailer for that movie? Bob Odenkirk, Nobody. Let's see. He's the guy from... Um, He's Saul on Better Call Saul. From Breaking Bad, oh, Better Call Saul. I have not seen it. Yeah, I, I didn't see the movie, but I saw the trailer, and it kind of reminds me of your, oh, someone, he's just nobody who, you know, happens to be this uh, um, sleeper agent who's like a badass kind of thing. That's crazy. Yeah, it looks interesting. What, um, do you, do you, has anyone made any um, comparisons, or have you thought about it, or has anyone made fun of you about it, that just like Prince changed his name to the just the sign you you prince fox changed to someone no one has made that comparison although when prince died i did get a lot of messages like i'll miss you forever and i'm like i i'm still here (laughs) this is not prince's account right must not be that big of fans to not realize the difference like i'm i don't look like him at all (laughs) you dress like him though uh on with the weekends yeah what, so I, I was listening to something that you posted and you were talking about opportunities that you missed. Yes. Um, I just let my head and my, I don't even want to say ego because it was, it, it was just this facade of a character that I had put up um, get in the way of you know, working with some really amazing people. I mean, uh, not to, not to name names or anything, but like there, there have been times where in let's say 2014, 2015, I was set up in a writing session with someone and I'd be like, Oh, who are these people? Like they don't have any credits. Why is this label setting me up with them? You know, I would do the session begrudgingly, not finish the song and just be like, whatever, on to the next. Like I want to work with this writer. They just did the Sean Mendes record, you know, that's who I want to be in with. And, you know, lo and behold, a year and a half later, they're the number one writer on the billboard charts with three songs in the top 10. And I'm like, damn, that's egg on my face. I should have just been like I used to and worked with people that I thought were cool and good. And, you know, were nice to be in the room with and not base these decisions off of who I thought I should be working with or what I thought I should be doing. Um, and and I don't even think that came from a place of me thinking that I was the best. It was just like, well, me and this persona, I should be in a, a room working with people and X, Y, and Z persona, which, you know, was wrong. You know, I, I run this pre-med program, uh, and tonight we just had our final uh, session uh, with our students for, for our spring session. And one of the things I told the students is, at least early in your career, which you're would you say you're still early in your career or kind of mid I'd like to think so. I'd like to think it's still early. Yeah. So early in one's career, what I told the students was you should always try as much as possible to say yes. Yeah. You know, and, and see what, because who knows, you never know which way an opportunity will take you. You never know that that may turn into your career or whatever. And, and uh, at some point you have to learn to say no, but I think in, in the beginning, I think it, it comes in handy to say yes a lot. A hundred percent. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Is there, is there a yes that you've said to someone and, and you're totally thrilled you said yes? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I feel like 
all of the things that have been positive in my career just came from random yeses that ended up working out better than I expected. Um, it, it's all just ebbs and flows of my mentality at the time. You know, when I said the right yes, the right thing happened. Um, and when I said the wrong no, you know, the opposite kind of thing. But totally- you know, I, one, of, one of the things that excited me about having you on is not to not to put you down at all. Actually, to help is is that I think your generation, you know, kids today, and I'm calling you a kid, and I, please don't be upset with me. You're good. It's so it's so hard for you guys, you know, because of social media and because of everything that's, you know, just all this information is out there. And I think, and and I applaud, and that's why I was excited you were willing to come on, and I applaud you. I I think. You're a great example of of kind of rebooting or a little or resetting and, and kind of you know taking taking a step back because it's it's hard for you guys. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a very good point as well. The social media stuff. The social media stuff is crazy because I kind of came up at the beginning of it when it for, for lack of a better way of saying it, like it was careless when everyone first got a Twitter, everyone first got a Facebook, like you posted whatever sarcastic joke you thought was funny at the time you did whatever it it was lawless completely because it was the wild west. You never thought that this would be archived for 10 years for people to, you know, reverse search, whatever, and, and try and, you know, tear you down. And, and, you know, that's, that's a crazy learning curve. Um, and you know, I, I don't really think that I really went that crazy, but I know a lot of friends of mine that would just pose jokes that in the context of their social circle made sense. And now they're like, have these corporate jobs and they're like, did you say this in 2007? And I'm like, damn, that's a crazy long time ago. You were 13, you know? Um, and, and, and the learning curve of, of right now that everything is the algorithm, you know, you need to look a certain way to go up in the algorithm and in, in this social media platform, you need your videos to be this length and it, it compresses the way people think about content, about songwriting, about everything. And that's been a, a very recent new mental health struggle is okay, you know, I like to write songs. I like to do music production, but I know that I need this social media to be successful. How do I do what I do within this format without feeling like I'm pandering? Because I know so many people that are crazy talented, but they're just like, I got to pander. Like, this is what's hot right now. This is what needs to get done. And then, you know, they they pick their head up out of the water six months later and they've made no progress except for in this one specific lane, hoping to strike gold. And uh, I I think that the lessons from the internet and social media will forever, forever be evolving as, you know, all these new privacy laws and exploitations come into play. It's it's only going to get crazier, I think. How are you balancing it? I feel okay. Um, I'm trying to outsource as much as I can and hire people to help me with marketing and stuff like that. Um, 
Because I've been I've been booking myself pretty solid just with studio work and stuff for my own artist project. And um, I just, after doing it for whatever, eight, ten years now, I just know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And I have cool ideas for marketing, but I'm just not the execution guy. Like I, you know, it's it just stops at the end of my tongue and I don't I don't know how to do any of it. Um, it would probably help if I learned, but you know, there's only yeah. so much that I can do. Yeah. I, you know, I think about, you were talking about if, if the social media stuff were around when, when your parents and I were kids, it would have been in like the stuff we said and did. Yeah. I, I remember it would have been crazy. I, it's amazing. We got out the way we got out. And, and that's another reason that I wanted to switch to this someone project is because I want to perpetuate the idea that people can grow and evolve and learn from their mistakes. Like the, the way that I've been trying to describe it to people is like when you're a kid and you touch the hot stove, you made a mistake. You never touch a hot stove with your bare hand again, right? There's no learning curve on the internet anymore. You make a mistake, done, finished. Yeah. Like, you know, Kevin, what was it? Kevin Hart losing, the hosting thing because of something he said eight ten years ago i'm sure he's a different guy than he is then you know and i and i hope that the 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 bounce back from all of this um very aggressive accountability online accountability is online growth and this is my journey like he lay it out on the table. Here's all the things that I'm not happy that I said. I'm not happy that I did. Here's what I did to try and grow and learn. And and I think that that's going to be hopefully the next wave of what goes on in the internet is all these people that had X, Y, and Z issues, assuming they didn't kill anyone or yeah. anything crazy heinous. Like I'm talking about people that made comments that they shouldn't have on the internet. Nothing, nothing more than that. But like I've educated myself on these subjects I'm not going to wear this costume anymore or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. Want, I, I want to see. Why I grew up. I'm not a kid. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How, so has your music drastic? Have you significantly changed your music too? Or yeah. Yeah. It's pretty significant. And like all the, the lyrical content is, is exactly that too. It's like, uh, the, the song I have coming out tomorrow night is called, I remember being you. And the chorus is like, I remember, no, it's just like a, it's a, it's about this other guy. Um, yeah. And it's like, uh, the, the chorus is, I remember being you, uh, everything I said, I hate, I hate about you. I used to do, I remember being you. And it's like, you seeing this other person that's kind of hot dogging around town, partying the way you used to. And I'm like, damn, I hate that. But that was me. Yeah. And like seeing, seeing that in somebody else, I'm like shit, like, I wish I could tell you all the things that are just going to, you know, make you really not happy in a few years from now. Um, but you kind of just have to let it run its course. And that's, that's what that song's about. But yeah. What kind of, uh, what kind of feedback are you getting from your fans and stuff? So everything's been great. It's, I try and give the, um, analogy. It's like you're starting a snowball all over again. Like with Prince Fox, the floor for how many people hear a song is much higher than a brand new account. Um, so commercially, the numbers are not at 
Prince Vox yet, but everyone that is hearing it is reacting with it a lot more than my recent Prince Vox stuff proportionately. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's promising. I like to say it's more exciting behind the curtain than in front of the curtain right now. And I'm just slowly pulling it back. You have someone that you play your stuff for before you let it out to everybody? Yeah. Uh, a few people that I do like my bigger pop production work, like when I work with other pop stars and stuff, my co-producers and co-writers, I'll just send it to them and I'll be like, is this competitive? You know, right? what do you think? What do your parents think of your music? Do they like your music? I think they really like the new stuff a lot. Um, I actually, I posted a clip of this song that I was writing like two weeks ago and, and they keep texting me like, when is that one coming out? When is that one coming out? So I think they really like it. Yeah. Do they go to shows? They've been to a bunch of my DJ shows. Yeah. Uh, that was really fun. I haven't done any live shows as, as this new project yet, but I don't know when this is coming out, but I'll tell you, I think my first live show for this project is going to be on a hot air balloon. Whoa. Yeah. That's I'm awesome. like working out the details right now. So depending on when this comes out, this might be before or after that, but I'm trying to get that done. You're going to be in a hot air balloon? Playing guitar and singing songs, yeah. Parachute? I mean, I don't know the, the logistics of the uh, part of it, but maybe. <laughs> that, would scare, that would scare the crap out of me. That doesn't scare you yes, at all? Dr. Cohen, he's saying yes to things. I'm saying yes. Someone called me and they're like, you want to do a show on a parachute? And I say, can it be for my new artist project? And do I have to DJ? They're like, yep, fine. No worries. Nice. cool let's do, you, do it lauren and i uh, on one episode we're talking about athletes and their crazy um rituals and things that they do before a show you know like uh, or or before a match or the way uh, nadal does this whole twitching thing or you know certain athletes tuck in do you have any weird fakakta thing you always do before a show uh a couple things um like back in the day i would always try and um use the lavatory and take a shot uh in no particular order and then uh someone that i I was really close with when i was first getting started said you always want to bring one more piece of clothing on stage than you plan on leaving with because it makes the crowd feel more intimate with you if you take something off while you're up there so I put on a jacket or something that i or a sweatshirt that i could take off you know 10 15 minutes into the set uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other weird stuff. And you stuff. throw it into the audience or you just take it no, off? I really like my clothing. I <laughs> keep it. It's just like for the illusion. Right. Put it on the side. Mm-hmm. Are you uh, going to be playing at any like uh, venues soon or stuff opening up? Are Are you in LA right now or New York? I'm in LA, yeah. Okay. I'm in Studio City. Okay. And that's the other thing I feel like an idiot. I, I, I texted you and you've been living here for how long? Since 2016. I'm yeah, gonna, and I and I never had you over for a meal. I feel like a total. Good. I, I was partying for the first two years straight. So yeah, <laughs> I'm still scared. I'm still frightened about having you in my lap. I'm nervous you're gonna sit um, in my lap with your head going all over. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's such a crazy story. <laughs> I love um, Lauren. You got to get a picture of the jacket on Sam's chair. Uh, that is our high school hockey jacket. It's too Isn't bad it? I'm not home. I wow. could have. I could have. I have the same exact jacket. Nice. There it is. All yeah. right. I I love, I'll get some more shots from the video. In fact, in fact, I, I the other day, my daughter, who's 15, was asking me, you know, if I had a jacket for her to wear, and I was like, Hey, you want to wear this? 
And she's like, no. She said no? She said no. Man. I was so upset. That is upsetting. That's a good, upsetting. That's a good job. We jacket. all have that same golden jacket because we were all on the Ramaz hockey teams. It's a good so, jacket. So you plan on playing from maybe a hot air balloon, but you're not going to be playing any venues because they're all still closed in LA or you're going to go on tour anyway? What are they're you still closed. Uh, my plan is to do this hot air balloon stunt. Uh, I'm working on a couple of other like marketing things to get this project a, a bunch more eyes before I start doing any tours because usually when you start touring there's like one of two ways either your project's really really hot at the time and you can sell a ton of tickets on your own or you know you get an agent or your agent reaches out to somebody else's agent that needs an opening slot and you just you make virtually nothing but you get to play in front of this other person's crowd in hopes that you can retain some of those um, fans in the case of this new project um, I'm very comfortable being in the studio and working with other people as well until this is hot enough to kind of do on my own I know there's always a balance um, but my best case scenario is getting enough steam picked up on this that you know my first roughly hard ticket tour will be just me um, even if it's small capacity rooms, I just think that this project would probably benefit from that more than trying to poach somebody else's fans. So is there any like secret to your success, just working hard? Like you seriously just posted everything on SoundCloud and then people found you. It was like the golden age of SoundCloud. Like things were just going viral from SoundCloud. There was this, uh, blog aggregator that still exists, but it like purged the majority of the blogs that it aggregated from uh, in like 2016. So it's not nearly the same as it was, but it's called the hype machine. And basically when certain blogs would post your song, it would get sent to this aggregator that had a chart, depending on how many people liked your song and listened to it, you would go up the chart. And that all went, those plays went back to SoundCloud. So it, it just became this self-fulfilling prophecy of like you get on a hype machine blog, flies up the charts, flies up the SoundCloud charts, and everything's buffering the next thing. And at that time, that's what all the labels were looking at. And they're like, oh my God, you know, three number ones in a row on the hype machine. Um, we got to sign this. Like this is viral. That's, I, yeah, that's amazing. It's crazy, but it doesn't equate to any money, which is hilarious looking back. Like if I was pulling that many plays on a digital service provider that actually paid like Spotify or iTunes, it would have been a ton of money. Well, not oh, a ton, but make, like... I didn't know that. You yeah, didn't SoundCloud at the time, it paid nothing. It was like a free-ish legal gray area because they hadn't cut a deal with the majors yet. They would sometimes take your remixes down. It was the Wild West. And if your remix squeaked through um, their content identification algorithm and you got it going viral, you were playing more shows. It, it was completely outrageous to think about how we all got away with it. But, you know, thank God for it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it worked out for you. But yeah, yeah. I guess SoundCloud has changed their policies so that musicians yeah. make money now. But yeah, they definitely are paying people now. But yeah. to like sign up for it, it's not very intuitive. Yeah. Sam, I love you for coming on this. Oh, thank I, you for I having me. I love your family. I've, I've, you're 
Thank you so much. I'd love to have a follow-up at some point. I'd love to. um, To find out a little bit more of how someone is doing. Thank you. Yes, you're amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. And yeah. Thank you for having me and letting me just blab away. I I appreciate it. I feel like your project, someone's going to be a success though. Congratulations. I really appreciate that. And thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you. I'll speak to you guys soon. Okay. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.